Hello, and welcome to another episode of Nostalgic Mystery Radio. I'm your host, Stevie Kay, and it's my honor to bring you the radio shows of yesteryear. For this episode, I bring you P.D. James's The Skull Beneath the Skin, where private detective Cordelia Gray is invited to the sunlit island of Corsi to protect the vainly beautiful actress Clarissa Lyle from veiled threats on her life. Within the rose-red walls of the fairy tale castle, she finds the stage set for death. So sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy this Nostalgic Mystery Radio. Thank you for listening. Do you not weep? Other sins only speak. Murder shrieks out. The element of water moistens the earth. But blood flies upwards and bedews the heavens. Cover her face. Mine eyes dazzle. She died young. The Skull Beneath the Skin by P.D. James. Dramatized by Neville Teller. With Greta Skaki as Cordelia Gray, John Moffat as Ambrose, Norman Rodway as Whittingham, Richard Vernon as General Ralston, Patricia Garwood as Roma, Geoffrey Whitehead as Inspector Grogan, and Richard Pierce as Simon. Part two of The Skull Beneath the Skin. Thank goodness we've got the cast off the island. I'm surprised that Grogan man let them go so easily. Well, they could scarcely have had anything to do with it. They all arrived after Lady Ralston was dead. And they can't complain the day's been dull, even if they've been done out of their moment in the spotlight. Clarissa's murder will be all over the county by dinner time. That means we can expect a press invasion at dawn. What will you do? Prevent anyone from landing. And I'll instruct Munter to refer all telephone inquiries to the police at Spamouth. Let them cope. More tea, anyone? Oh, thank you, Roma. Now, Ivo, you have all the London gossip. Tell us about this man, Grogan. I confess that on first acquaintance I don't take to him. Well, I admit I did telephone a contact from this very room, in fact, while you were busy receiving the inspector and his minions. The story is that he resigned from the Met because he was disgusted with the corruption in the CID. And that, of course, was before the latest purge. (laughs) That should reassure you, Roma. Nothing about the police reassures me. I suppose I'd better be careful about offering him drink. It could be construed as an attempt to bribe or corrupt. (laughs) He appears to be one of nature's sea-green incorruptibles. Mm. I wonder if the chief constable, or whoever decides these things, sent him here to fail. Why on earth should anyone do that? On the principle, better the new broom than one of your own. And he could very easily fail. I don't know. But doesn't this have all the hallmarks of a storybook killing? A close circle of suspects, an isolated scene of crime conveniently cut off from the mainland. It should all be tied up in a week. Suspects ranked in strict order of priority. First the husband, then the heirs, family, friends, acquaintances. As an heir and a member of the family, I hardly find that reassuring. If the killer keeps his head clear and his mouth shut... I doubt whether he's in real danger. 
It isn't what the police know or suspect, it's what they can prove. You sound as though you don't want it solved. Mm, on the contrary, I should prefer to have it solved. It'll be tedious to spend the rest of one's life as a suspected murderer. It'll bring in the summer tourists, though, won't it? People love blood and horror. <laughs> You'll be able to show the scene of the crime. For an extra 20 pence, of course. I don't pander to sensationalism. That's why summer visitors don't get shown the crypt. And in any case, this is a murder in poor taste. Aren't they all? Not necessarily. But this one strikes me as particularly bizarre, extravagant and theatrical. In other words, entirely appropriate to its subject. <laughs> Incidentally, isn't it odd that we've been left here alone? I thought there'd be at least a plain-clothes underling sitting in and taking notes of all our indiscretions. Cordelia, in your capacity as a private eye, I suppose you've been co-opted and will be reporting everything back to the inspector. I am employed by Sir George. And the police know their limits. This is still my house and my library, and they come here by invitation. Until they decide to charge someone, we're all entitled to be treated as innocent, even Ralston, presumably. Though, as husband, he's certain to have been elevated to chief suspect. Poor George. Selected for the first grilling... He's been gone an inordinately long time. Must be hell for him. Especially if he really loved her. My guess is he stopped loving her six months after the wedding. He must have known by then that she was incapable of remaining faithful to anyone. If he didn't kill her, and I don't for one moment believe it was him, he's probably not entirely ungrateful to whoever did. Uh. And the money will come in useful to subsidise that fascist organisation he runs. But don't you get some of the money, Roma, my dear? And won't it come in useful to you? I'll be glad enough of it, I suppose, when it actually comes. But I don't need it. It certainly isn't important enough to kill for. And I damn well resent the offensive way in which we've all had our fingerprints taken. I mean, what else are they doing, apart from grilling poor George? Collecting scientific evidence? Samples of blood, body fluids. They'll analyse the dregs of tea to find out if she was poisoned or perhaps drugged before she was killed. She was lying very peaceably on her back. It didn't need a drug for Clarissa to lie peaceably on her back. I'm sorry. It's just that I can't really believe it. I can't picture Clarissa lying there, battered to death. She was alive. Now she's dead. I didn't like her and she didn't like me. Death can't alter that. I'm going for a walk. I, I've got to get out of this place. If Grogan wants me, he can come and find me. Yes, I suppose Ralston will get most of the money. How much is that, Ambrose? Oh, my dear, I, I don't know. Clarissa never confided the details of her personal finances. We weren't that close. I rather thought you were. Now, that's one surprising fact about Clarissa. She loved to gossip, but she could certainly keep a secret when she wanted to. Clarissa liked hoarding, and that included nuggets of useful information. How unexpected, and how very dangerous. Yeah. Oh, George, my dear fellow. Ah. And how did you find the legendary Grogan? Perfectly civil. I suppose he knows his business. I confess to some curiosity about police strategy and technique. Reviewing Agatha Christie at the Vaudeville is a poor preparation for the real thing. Oh, it's all pretty much as you'd expect. Where was I and what was I doing this afternoon? Mm -hmm. I told them. I was bird-watching on the West Cliffs. I was also able to say I saw Simon through the binoculars on the way home. 
I saw him coming ashore after his swim. Grogan seemed to think that was important. Well, what about this morning? Are we expected to detail every waking moment? Didn't say more than I needed. Told them about our communal visit to the church. Mentioned the devil's kettle and the wartime drowning, but didn't give details. No point in confusing the investigation with old history. Not their concern. Ah, how reassuring. That's rather the line I propose taking. I'll have a word with Roma when the opportunity arises, and George, you might speak to the boy. When I see him. Oh, sorry, I forgot. Cordelia, they want you next. Oh, right. Uh, where are they? I've put them in the business room. You're saying you locked your door from the inside? That's what I said, Chief Inspector, from the inside. And left the key in the lock? Yes. Oh. I still don't see why. It seemed the sensible thing to do. Anyway, Lady Ralston said she wanted to make quite sure for herself, after I'd gone, that the door was locked. Sergeant Buckley, would you kindly check back and see what Miss Gray told us last time on this point? Yes, sir. Oh, here it is. Uh, Miss Gray... I locked the door of my room leading to the corridor. Question. From the inside? Answer. Yes. And what did you do with the key? I left it in the lock. Why? I wanted Lady Ralston to be able to check for herself before she locked the communicating door. Right. Well, Miss Grey, whose idea was it? Yours or Lady Ralston's? I honestly can't remember. What I do know is that she was extremely anxious to be left entirely alone... I let myself be persuaded. So you went out into the corridor from Lady Ralston's room? That's right. And she locked herself in? Yes. You didn't lock the door from the outside? Of course not. I've gone through this sequence at least three times, Inspector. Three times? Sergeant Buckley? I believe it is, sir. And you'd persuaded Lady Ralston to wedge a towel under the door? That's right. Why precisely? Again, please, Miss Gray. To make quite sure she didn't receive another of those threatening notes, especially so close to the performance. You'd already intercepted uh, two while on the island? That's right. Mm. One in the post that came over with us in the launch, and a second when we were all together down in the crypt when the lights failed. When you came back to Lady Ralston's room just over an hour later, the door was unlocked? Yes. It surprised me. I thought she'd already got up and was dressing. Well, the towel, Miss Gray. Where was the towel she was supposed to have wedged under the door? I don't know. There wasn't a towel around. This missing jewel box that Mr Gorringe reported, did you notice it had gone? Yes, I did. But in the shock of finding the body, I didn't say anything. Mm. You say you were employed by Sir George Ralston to be with his wife? I was employed to look after her. And I let her get killed. Well, stop feeling sorry for yourself. Presumably you didn't think she was in any real danger, nor did her husband, nor did the Metropolitan Police, apparently. Well, I can see why they might have been sceptical. Really? Yes. I wondered whether Lady Ralston had sent one of those notes herself, the one written on her husband's typewriter when he was in America. And why should she do that? To try to exonerate Sir George. I think she was afraid the police might think he was sending the notes. But I believe the idea backfired, and they suspected that she sent that message herself. They did more than suspect, Miss Gray. They tested the saliva on the flap of the envelope. Oh. You could hardly expect them to take the death threats very seriously after that. Oh, no. Any other conclusions about the notes? Well, apart from the message Lady Ralston sent herself, I thought it was possible that two different people were involved. I wasn't shown the first half-dozen she received... 
I thought it was not unlikely that they were different in some way from the later ones, and that was why they'd been destroyed. And who might this original correspondent have been? I don't know. Well, who do you suspect? I can't say. Can't or won't? Look, Miss Gray, let's get one thing straight, shall we? Lady Ralston was battered to death. She may not have been a good or likeable woman, but she had as much right to live her life to the last natural moment as you or I or anyone. Of course. I don't see why that needs saying. You'd be surprised what needs saying in a murder investigation. <sighs> you may be too bright for your own good, Miss Gray. You're not here to solve this crime. That's my job. Nor are you here to protect the living. Leave that to their lawyers. You're not even here to protect the dead. Do you know the saying, on droit des égards au vivant, on a droit on a au mort, mort que la vérité. Yes, of course. Voltaire. Uh, to the living we owe respect, to the dead we owe only the truth. Mm. Yes, but, but I was taught a different pronunciation. I bet you were, Miss Gray, I bet you were. I taught myself with a primer. Anyway, there's no better motto for a detective. Hmm. That includes female private eyes who'd like to help the police, yet still lie abed with a clear conscience. It can't be done, Miss Gray. It can't be done. I'll bear that in mind, Inspector Grogan. You know, what surprises me a little is how much you noticed. And how carefully when you found the body. Most people, and not only young women, would have been in a state of shock. I know. It surprised me, too. I think what happened was that I couldn't bear to feel too much emotion. It was so horrible that it was almost unreal. I had to detach myself, so my intellect took over and made it into a kind of detective puzzle. That's why I noticed that the jewel box had disappeared, or, or things like the tea tray and the used cup with a smear of lipstick on the rim, or the balls of cotton wool smeared with makeup on the dressing table. It was that sort of mental tabulation that kept me from keeling over. Perhaps that's how surgeons feel. You have to keep your mind on procedures and techniques because otherwise you might realise that what you have lying there is a human being. It's how a policeman trains himself to behave on the scene of an accident. Or a murder. And what exactly did your intellect deduce? Oh, the obvious things. How odd it was that Lady Ralston had cleaned the makeup from her face but that there was lipstick on the cup by the bedside. It looked as if she must have made up her lips again in bed before she drank her tea. Why? And I noticed that despite a good deal of blood, there, there wasn't as much as you'd expect from a head wound, so I thought it was just possible she was killed some other way and the injuries to her face made afterwards. And I was puzzled by the cleansing pads on her eyes. They must have been put there after her death. It wouldn't have been possible for them to stay in place while her face was being destroyed. You're sitting on the wrong side of the desk, Miss Gray. I take that as a compliment. There is one thing you ought to know... Sir George didn't kill his wife. When he first arrived in the bedroom and I blurted out how sorry I was, he looked at me with a kind of amazed horror. I realised that for a moment he thought I'd killed her, that I was confessing. Let's go back to the Friday night, mm. the time when you were with Lady Ralston in a room and she showed you the secret drawer in her jewel box. That review of the Rattigan play, are you sure that's what it really was? Quite sure. It wasn't a document or a letter? And it was a local newspaper cutting. Oh. I only read the headline. I do remember thinking that the cutting was oddly shaped, much larger than the actual review. Oh. And those threatening messages? Did your client ever give the least indication that she knew or suspected who was behind them? Never. And you yourself can throw no light on why and by whom she was killed? No. Oh. Very well. Thank you, Miss Gray. You've been helpful. Mm. Not perhaps as helpful as I'd hoped, but helpful. I've told you everything I know. Oh. 
Oh, it's early days yet. We'll be talking again. Oh. Goodbye, Miss Gray. Allow me, Miss Gray. Goodbye. Well, what do you think? Mm. Well, she's attractive, like a cat, self-contained and dignified. But did she do it, Sergeant? She had time and opportunity. We've only her word that she locked her bedroom door, or that Lady Ralston locked hers. She knew where that marble arm was kept, and she had access to the business room where Goringer's typewriter is kept, so she could have typed that final message. I can't see Miss Gray as a murderess. It takes an effort of the imagination, I grant you. If she did have a hand in it, my guess is that it was as Ralston's accomplice. And they're an unlikely couple. It's difficult to see what they have in common. Politics rather than bed, I imagine. <laughs> but police work teaches you that when it comes to sex, nothing is too bizarre to be ruled out. <laughs> Did you believe what she said about that look of amazed horror on Ralston's face? No doubt he would look amazed if he thought she was confessing to a murder he'd done himself. <laughs> so, we'd better find out what, if anything, the Met know about Cordelia Gray and her agency. And while we're at it, there are a whole host of other unanswered questions. What did Simon Lessing really feel about Clarissa? And how exactly did his father die? Yeah. Is Miss Tolgarth quite the devoted dresser-come-family retainer that we're supposed to believe? What sort of money is Sir George spending on his private militia? <laughs> how much precisely is Roma Lyle going to get from the will, and how badly does she need it? And that's just for starters. There's certainly a choice bunch of suspects. A baronet... A distinguished theatre critic? Mm, a best-selling novelist, a female private eye, a respectable bookseller, <laughs> ex-schoolmum, and a spotty schoolboy. <laughs> to say nothing of the butler, sir. Difficult to overlook a man as tall as that. Uh, thank you for reminding me, Sergeant. We mustn't forget the butler. In fact, why not let's hear what Munter has to tell us? My duties, sir, have never been precisely defined. This is not an altogether orthodox household... But I'm in charge of all the domestic arrangements, and I supervise the two other staff, my wife and Oldfield. And how long have you been part of this unorthodox household? My wife and I came into Mr. Gorringe's service in July 1978. Shortly after his return from 12 months spent abroad, he'd inherited the castle from his uncle the previous year. This play, it was to be a regular event, was it? An annual drama festival, perhaps? I'm sorry, sir. I have no means of knowing that. Mr. Gorringe didn't confide his plans to me. Once was enough, I should think. Must have made a lot of extra work for you and your wife. The domestic inconvenience caused by Lady Ralston alive was as nothing compared with the inconvenience of her murder. You found her a pleasant, likeable guest, then? She seemed a very agreeable lady. Right. Now, let's get on with it. You know what we want. A full account of where you were, what you were doing, and who you saw between one o'clock when lunch was over and 2.45 when Miss Gray found the body. I spent the whole of that period on the ground floor of the castle, preparing for the play and the supper party that was supposed to follow the performance. I doubt if I was out of someone's sight throughout that time. Oh, except when I remembered that Mr. Gorringe had asked me to find a different musical box for Act Three. Lady Ralston had apparently taken a dislike to the one used in rehearsal. I came into this room to fetch it from the chiffonier. And what did you do with it? I put it next to the other on the props table backstage... Shortly afterwards, Mr. Gorringe arrived and we checked over the props together. How long afterwards? 
Oh, it might have been 2.15. Might have been. I wasn't checking the time, sir. Mm. All right. And then? Then it was time to go to the quay to meet the launch, bringing the rest of the cast from Spamouth. Mr. Gorringe and I showed the gentlemen to their dressing rooms, and my wife and Miss Tolgoth took care of the ladies. Then I went to the dining room to collect the chairs together for the supper party. I was there when Mr. Gorringe came to tell me of Lady Ralston's murder. Monta. The most dreadful thing. I've just come from upstairs. Lady Ralston is dead. Murdered. Murdered? What, in our house? In her bedroom. But how, sir? I'm afraid she's been battered to death. I've just left her. Sir George and Miss Gray are still up there. Now, you must go down to the quay and prevent all those guests from landing. Yes, sir, of course. Immediately. I'll come down as soon as I can and explain why the performance has been cancelled. I can see the launches from here, sir. How far away are they? I'd say three quarters of a mile. Now, then there's plenty of time for you to get down to the landing stage. We simply can't have another 80 people on the island all milling about getting in the police's way. I'm just about to telephone them. I'll get down there right away. Uh, what shall I say, sir? Well, you'd better tell them Lady Ralston has been killed. If they ask how, say a blow to the head. There's no need to harrow them unnecessarily. In the event, I wasn't required to tell them anything, since Mr. Gorin should join me by the time the launches arrived. Mm. A blow to the head. You've seen the body? No, sir. Mr. Gorin's locked the bedroom. But you've no doubt formed some opinion as to how the blow to the head was inflicted? Well, I did wonder whether it was connected with the missing marble hand. Mr. Gorringe found the display case forced in the early hours of this morning. But you saw and heard nothing? No, sir. I was busy in the kitchen. There's been murder here. Bloody murder of a defenceless woman. If there's anything you know, I expect to be told it. Clear? Perfectly, sir. Corsi Islanders used to murder, and the murderers have seldom been brought to justice. Perhaps you and your colleagues will have better luck. You'd known Lady Ralston from childhood, sir? Our fathers were both in the diplomatic service, but I saw little of Clarissa in recent years until I inherited this island from my uncle. We met at a theatrical first night. And she suggested that you might stage a play for her? No, I really can't remember who suggested that first. And the marble limb? That was last seen by you when? At about 11.30 last night. Oh. When I went to the kitchen at 6.45 this morning, I found the lock forced and the hand missing. All members of the house party had seen it and knew where it was kept? All except Simon Lessing. Ah, yes. The boy must have resented his father's marriage to Lady Ralston, on his mother's account, if not his own. Oh, it was six years ago, and I doubt if he resented it enough to pick this moment to bash his stepmother's face in. Does Sir George know you suspect the boy? I never said I suspected him. But I do find everyone's concerted measures to protect him interesting. It's only natural. He was very shocked when I broke the news to him. His own parents are dead. He was devoted to Clarissa. It strikes me, sir, that you've taken a lot of trouble for Lady Ralston, one way or another. Putting on the play for her, restoring the theatre, entertaining her guests. Must have been an expensive business. Happily, I'm not a poor man. And since you raised the matter, the theatre was restored for my own satisfaction, not Lady Ralston's. She wasn't hoping that you might partly finance her next professional appearance. What's the theatrical jargon? No. 
be her angel? That particular angelic role has never attracted me. There are more amusing ways of losing money. But if you're trying tactfully to suggest that I may have owed Clarissa a favour, you're perfectly right. It was she who gave me the idea for my bestseller. Autopsy, in case you're one of the half-dozen who haven't heard of it. <laughs> no, Inspector Groden, you've been gossiping with the wrong theatrical people, I'm afraid. Not Ivo Whittingham, by any chance? It would be accurate to say that Clarissa and I were lovers for a period of about six years, as opportunity and her whim dictated. And did her husband know? Husbands, Inspector. Our relationship outlasted more than one marital episode. But if it's George Ralston you're interested in, I never told him. Tell me what she was like. <laughs> I was going to say you've seen her face, but of course you haven't. Pity. One needed to know the physical Clarissa to get any clue about her. She lived intensely in and through her body. The rest is a list of words. Egocentric, insecure, clever, kind or cruel as the mood took her, restless, unhappy. But she had certain skills which a gentlemanly reticence inhibits me from discussing. She probably gave more joy than she caused misery. That can't be said of many of us. I once said her the words of Thomas Mallory, Launcelot speaking to Guinevere. Lady, I take record of God. In thee I have had my earthly joy. I don't take them back. Whatever she may have done. Whatever she may have done? A form of words, merely. So you mourn her? No, but I shan't forget her. Why are you here, sir? Here? Or on the island? Mm. Well, why are any of us here? Because Clarissa wanted us here. I at least was commissioned by one of the Sunday papers to do a piece on the island and the theatre, but as for the others, the boy, for instance, Simon Lessing, he didn't seem to have a notion as to why he was invited. I think Clarissa might have wanted to show me off. My piano playing, I mean. She liked to impress people. Are you happy living with Sir George and his wife? Very, sir. Mm. When I'm with them, mostly I'm at school. It's term time now, isn't it? Yes. I had to have special leave to come to the island. And how did this special relationship with Lady Ralston come about? It was after my mother died. I went to live with my uncle and his family, and that's where Clarissa came to see me in the summer of 1978 and agreed to take care of me. Mm. I wasn't adopted. Clarissa became a sort of foster mother, I suppose. She took over the whole responsibility for bringing me up. And do you welcome that arrangement? Very much, sir. I wasn't very happy living with my uncle and aunt. Right, then. Suppose you tell us exactly what you did between 1 and 2.45 today. Well, I wanted to go for a swim before the play, so... After lunch, I went up to change. I put my swimming trunks on under my jeans. Clarissa had warned me not to swim too soon after the meal, so I went for a walk on the beach first for a bit. What time did you actually go into the water? Oh, just about two o'clock, I suppose. I swam for about half an hour. I came out, dried and got dressed. I was on my way back to the castle when Mr Gorringe saw me and came down. 
He told me about Clarissa. What can you tell us about the arm of the dead princess? Uh, do you mean in the church? Well, there were skulls in the crypt, but... A marble limb. Someone took it from Mr. Gollinger's display case outside this door. I don't think I've seen it, sir. I'm sorry. Oh, of course the woodcut's mine. I brought it to Corsi because I thought Ambrose Gorringe would be interested in it. I thought it might be valuable. I hope you're not suggesting that I sent it to Clarissa, or that I'm in any way involved in those other messages. I'm making no such suggestion, Miss Lyle. Good. Perhaps, though, you'd be kind enough to tell me what you did this afternoon. Very well. I went to see Clarissa in her room just before she took her rest. Why, exactly? Why? <laughs> to wish her good luck for the performance, of course. Why else? I thought you had lunch with her. So I did. Well, why didn't you do it then? I forgot. I realised as soon as she'd gone upstairs. I had to wish her good luck. I see. And you left her when, exactly? Oh, at five past one. And then what? Then I went to the library. I stayed there till half past two. And then I went up to my room to change. Was anyone with you in the library? No one. I was alone all the time. Oh, except that Miss Gray put her head round the door at about twenty past one. What were you doing there? What does one usually do in a library, Inspector? I was reading. All the time? It is possible, even in this day and age, to sit and read for 90 minutes, Inspector. But if you must know, I was also waiting for a private business call from my partner. And before you ask, no, it did not come through. So, you sat by the telephone and read. Is that all? For a few minutes I wrote a letter. I see. Do you have the letter? I decided not to send it. I tore it up. A letter, Sergeant. The torn-up fragments of a letter. Did you find them in the waste paper basket? No, sir. Nothing like that. Oh. No letter, Miss Lyle? Of course not. I didn't put the pieces in the waste paper basket. No? What did you do with them? I took them with me to my room and flushed them down the lavatory. Really? Yes, really. Why not? And you went up to your room when, exactly? At half past two. Wasn't that leaving it a little late to change for the performance, Miss Lyle? Yes, well, I decided to give the play a miss, actually. <laughs> There's nothing so surprising in that, Inspector. I'd seen quite enough of Clarissa's histrionics. I simply preferred to take a walk, that's all. Now, what did you make of all that, Sergeant? Would you care to propound a theory to explain all those intriguing eccentricities of behaviour? <sighs> well, let's say she was expecting a telephone call from her lover. When it didn't come, she decided to write to him. Then she thought better of it and tore up the letter. She collected the bits from the waste paper basket because she didn't want us piecing them together and reading her private correspondence. Ingenious, Sergeant. But you see where it leaves us. At the time she tells us she took those scraps upstairs, she couldn't have known the police would be here to poke their noses into her private correspondence, not unless she also knew by then that her cousin was dead. Ah. Well, let's not read too much into it, Sergeant. It might have been the servant she was protecting herself from, uh, not us. I suppose so, sir. And Miss Roma Lyle's story is not the only unconvincing one. Consider the curious reticence of the lady's maid. Oh. Sounds like the chapter heading for one of those snobbish 30s thrillers, doesn't it? <laughs> oh. 
You question the lady, Sergeant. She may prefer youth to experience. Uh, Give her a treat. This has been a Nostalgic Mystery Radio presentation. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to like and rate this podcast on your favorite app. Also, there's a Nostalgic Mystery Radio YouTube page for your perusal to subscribe to. You can contact me by emailing me at nostalgicmysteryradio at gmail.com. I hope you have a blessed day or evening. And again, thank you for listening.